From the National Association of Evangelicals, welcome to today's conversation. Our topic, What's Up with Mormons? Host Leif Anderson, NAE President, talks with Greg Johnson, President of Standing Together. Let's join in. I'm Leif Anderson, President of the NAE, here with Greg Johnson. Greg serves as President of Standing Together, a nonprofit that seeks to advance biblical unity among evangelical churches and pastors in Utah and spiritual formation throughout that state. Prior to founding Standing Together, Greg served as a pastor in three local Utah churches. Greg was raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and as a teenager was born again at a Christian camp outside of Colorado Springs. Because of his background in Mormonism, Greg is passionate about building relationships and dialogue with members of the Mormon faith and particularly with Mormon leaders and scholars. So welcome and thanks for joining us today, Greg. Great to be with you, Leif. So Greg, um, this is a big order, but would you give us sort of a brief uh, overview of how the LDS Church is organized? Sure. Um, they have a leadership structure that is very hierarchical. It uh, begins at the top with a prophet, a seer, and a revelator. That current prophet is Thomas Ed Smonson. He's the 16th prophet of the Mormon Church since the founder, Joseph Smith. He has two counselors that serve him, and then there are a quorum of 12 apostles that serve with the First Presidency. So those 15 men make up the senior leadership of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Then they are accompanied by a group of other leaders called 70s that serve throughout the earth in various geographical locations. And then it's structured right down from there to the local levels uh, where you get a Mormon bishop who is a congregational leader or a stake president who would oversee many uh, wards in a given area. And so it's very structured from top to bottom and bottom to top. Now, uh, in the LDS church, there aren't clergy and not paid people. They're all volunteers, aren't they? Yeah, uh, up through uh, those that are full-time, and that would be those in the first and second quorum of 70 uh, and through the apostles. They would be compensated if needed, uh, but many of them are self uh, financially self-funded uh, you know, and, and fine, so they don't necessarily need it. But uh, yeah, there's not, uh, there's not a paid clergy in Mormonism. And among the, the apostles, among the senior leadership, that's a seniority system, as I recall, that you move up based upon how many years you've either served or your age, or how does that work? Exactly. Um, really, after the death of Joseph Smith, the Mormon Church founder, Brigham Young's uh, ascension was a was a new process, and from that time forward, every most senior member of the Quorum of the Twelve simply moves up to the next position. And so, if you've been there the second longest, uh, when the current prophet passes away, you would become the next president of the Mormon Church. We already know that if Thomas Menson were to die, Russell M. Nelson will become the president of the Mormon Church upon, upon his passing. Some of the greatest distinctives are not in seniority or organization. There are lots of different ways that religions organize each other, but there are some pretty significant differences between historical biblical Christianity and Mormonism. So what are the, you know, the noteworthy, the, the big differences or distinctions? 
Yeah, and that's the key as we build our friendships and relationships with uh, members of the Mormon Church is to understand that while we have a lot of similar moral beliefs and values, that we do have some key doctrinal differences. And I would really summarize with very uh, in a very short way that I think are the six key differences, and that would be in the nature and understanding of God himself, who is God and how do we understand him. Secondly, the understanding of salvation, how is a person made right with God. Third, the nature of human beings and their sin, what is sin. Uh, fourth, uh, understanding the nature of revelation and what is scripture. Fifth, the issue of authority, priesthood, and temples. And then finally, the distinctive that the LDS Church claims to be the only true Christian church in all the world. Wow, that is uh, a pretty big list. Do you think that... Uh, <laughs> well, we could, most... we could break that down, but I just want to give a quick summary. Now, so to most Mormons, uh, the average person or student at BYU, do, do they, would they know all of those differences? Yeah, in fact, why I key in on those is those are kind of fundamental, basic understandings of, of typical Latter-day Saints in relationship to those key doctrinal areas, and they would see them as different than most other kinds of Christian churches. All right, you've done a lot of facilitating and uh, participating in LDS Evangelical Dialogue. You've done this at universities and churches and other venues and other places, and especially uh, with one particular scholar at BYU. So tell us about him and tell us about what you've done and how did all this get started? Well, it's a really a great story. Uh, on April 11, 1997, um, I was hosting a, a good friend of ours. I know you know Dr. Bruce Demers from Denver Seminary, retired now. But he was uh, invited to lecture at BYU uh, to the Faculty of Religion on April 11, 1997. And uh, that day, we went there together, and I met Dr. Robert Millett. Millett uh, was then the dean of the Faculty of Religion at Brigham Young University. And a friendship was formed, and three years later, uh, after many lunches and many get-togethers, talking over those very doctrinal issues that I just mentioned, those six key areas, and a lot of other stuff, um, we were actually invited by a, a mutual friend to come up to Park City, Utah, and just talk about our friendship <clears throat> and how we have facilitated an ongoing dialogue about substantive doctrinal issues without losing the friendship, without losing the ability to stay interested and courteous and respectful to one another. So here I am, a young pastor uh, at the time when we first met, and he is an established uh, scholar of the Mormon faith, and uh, he's about 19 years older than me. So how this, uh, this was not necessarily a natural fit, but it, it just began as a friendship. And as a result of that first experience, other people found out about it. And by the time that we did our final public dialogue meeting, uh, 65 events later, we had seen many different churches and various states and even outside of the country to try to help Latter-day Saints and evangelicals understand that we should not fear an honest conversation about our differences while maintaining a real effort to be courteous, respectful, and to honor 1 Peter 3.15, which says to work to give them the answer for the hope that lies within us with gentleness and respect. So we've seen some incredible experiences through the Ongoing effort of that, a, a book was written between Bob and I, Bridging the Divide. Uh, uh, DVDs were made, copies of those were sent, were on YouTube. 
And uh, lots and lots of people have seen this dialogue, and it's really been a model of how you can honestly talk about those theological differences without losing the friendship. And we feel that's been very significant because um, in the context of relationship is how we have influence with other people. And so it's been really extraordinary. We've been amazed at the invitations we've received, the places we've gone. We've been to Harvard Divinity School. We've been to major campuses like UCLA and USC and Dartmouth and various uh, colleges like that. We've been to many LDS venues, uh, um, LDS ward houses and, and institutes of religion. So we've found ourselves in some very fascinating places, large mega churches like Mariner's Church and uh, Kensington Church in Michigan, Detroit area. So we've been all over the place, England, uh, Canada, but we did conclude our, our dialogue formally when Bob retired in uh, November of 2012 while we maintained friendship and continue to, to visit with one another. We, we're not on the road anymore, so that's kind of uh, uh, died down. But other uh, opportunities are emerging as well with other BYU scholars and friends that uh, I'm doing some public dialoguing with. I want to ask you about the, the actual content, so what, what did you talk about in these conversations? But before that, you seem to be describing a different style than uh, evangelical Mormon dialogue. If you use the word dialogue, I think that in the past it's been more about confrontation. And I, I don't know about the Mormon side of it, but on the evangelical side of it, it was it wasn't a conversation. It tended to be confrontational without Mormons usually being present there. So it, it's a it's a different tone than uh, others have taken in the past. Am I getting that right? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, the the privilege I've had in networking churches here in Utah through standing together is to facilitate a real paradigm shift in the way evangelicals think about their Mormon friends and how they talk with their Mormon friends. In the past, like you said, it was a debate, not a discussion, not a dialogue, a contention, not a conversation. Um, I think today the average church in Utah and many evangelicals have learned that by telling Mormons how wrong they are and how they are a member of a cult, and how their leader was a false prophet, we have entered into more of a conversational approach that has created a, an environment by which we can actually have a robust and healthy and a pretty deep conversation. Uh, whereas in the past, I think the insults and the Bible bombing uh, kind of pretty much ended pretty quickly and just put up walls between us. I think the, the uh, symbolism of a bridge that has been built in the last 10 or 15 years between Mormon leaders and evangelical leaders and evangelicals and Latter-day Saints is a really a good one because in the context of being on a bridge, we can actually interact. So when I came out of Mormonism in 1980 as a 14-year young man, young guy, I, uh, um, I knew the world was very contentious between Mormons and evangelicals. And in my early years as an evangelical at a Christian high school in Southern California, at Westmont College in Santa Barbara, uh, our approach to engaging Mormons was to debate them and to go after them and to confront them. And uh, I would say in my seminary days at Denver, uh, as well as my early days as a pastor here in Utah, I began to think a lot more missionally and not simply just apologetically. And we've had much more of a long-term approach with relationship as the key than the short 20-minute conversation where you try to do you know, a theological duel. And as a result, the relationships that have been formed, the trust that's been built, um, the interaction that has been established, I think has been extremely significant and has led to things like Rabbi Zachariah speaking in the Mormon Tabernacle or Nick Boyich speaking in the, in the Mormon Tabernacle or 
uh, LDS leaders, addressing uh, evangelical leaders all over the country and in various settings. It's been really amazing to see the doors that have opened. All right, so we've talked about tone, but what do you actually talk about? What, what's, what's the content, both with uh, Dr. Millett and, and others, uh, in this type of uh, dialogue? Well, we took a gift a long time ago from Dr. Martin Marty of the University of Chicago when he coined the phrase originally, and I know Dr. Richard Mao um, has used it, as well as Bob and I, this idea of convicted civility. So that's the tone. We can speak deeply of our convictions, but we do it with civility. And going back to those six kind of key areas are the things that Bob and I have often focused on. In Mormonism, you have a God who was a man who became God and now rules and reigns over this planet, uh, alongside of many other uh, deities who have done similar things in other parts of the cosmos, if you will. In Christianity, you have one eternal God who is Father, Son, and Spirit who has eternally existed. So we have a very different understanding of who God is. In Mormonism, you have the idea that we have to do certain things along with accepting the atonement of Jesus Christ uh, in order to be truly saved, in, in order to go to the highest celestial heaven. Um, you have to be a Mormon. You have to go to the temple. You have to pay your tithing. You have to obey the laws and ordinances of the gospel. There's a very works plus grace mentality in traditional Mormonism, whereas biblical Christianity emphasizes our relationship with, with God is through his son, in completely uh, on the basis of, our, of, of his grace towards us. Then there's this discussion that we might have about Scripture. We believe the Bible is alone, the unique authoritative Word of God. The Mormon Church adds to that the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, and prophetic utterances that are equal to biblical Scripture. So you have you know, three, three key distinctives right there that we might talk about, or how Mormonism claims to be the only true church upon the face of the earth. That would be a phrase many Mormons, most Mormons, would be very comfortable with. It comes to them from the Doctrine and Covenants, one of their scriptures, in section 1, verse 30, that says there is only one church upon the whole face of the earth in whom the Lord is well pleased, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So we talk about those kind of issues, like, you know, are, are we both looking at each other as fellow Christians, or does Mormonism claim to be more Christian? Does does Christianity, uh, evangelical Christianity, include Mormonism as a Christian faith? So we get right, right down into the nitty-gritty, if you will, and talk honestly. And I think the audiences have always been amazed. Man, they really talk about the key differences without losing civility or respect for one another and really making a distinction. I think when people leave our presentations or after they've read our book or watched our DVD, they don't say to themselves, oh, that's uh, too two Christian groups up there that believe the same thing, they, they would say, wow, those are two guys that both claim to be Christians, but their understanding of Christianity is so different that, um, you know, that's pretty clear. So I think we've been really committed to that idea of talking substantively about the differences, affirming uh, similarities where we can, certainly, and certainly honoring the, the values and the Judeo-Christian ethic that we both share. But we do that with integrity by being honest about the differences as well as being honest about similarities. In taking this approach, are there those that perceive that what you have done is a compromise of historic biblical Christianity and evangelical faith? Are, are there critics then of this approach? Absolutely. More so years back uh, than in present day. I think in so many ways, Leith, we are beginning to win the day uh, in the engagement of what we call the new religious movement community. 
sometimes we speak of the Mormon Church, the Jehovah's Witness Church, or the Christian Scientists or Scientologists as cults. That would be a, a phrase that would be more typical of the past. Now we tend to use the word new religious movements to convey that, you know, we're not trying to be insulting. We're not trying to just, uh, you know, that word cult has some tremendous baggage and, and it certainly is not ever meant as a compliment. So those that have been more in the anti-cult tradition see this conversational approach as very much a compromise. I've been accused of a lot of things. You wouldn't have to Google my name and, and Mormon dialogue uh, too far to find out that I'm a compromiser. I'm in the back pocket of the Mormon church. I'm a sellout. Uh, however, I, I love the fact that our critics have never accused me of, of preaching or teaching heresy or compromising on orthodox doctrine. Uh, I feel good about that uh, reality. But I think it has just been really hard for certain people to see Mormons and those in the Mormon community in friendly ways. And I just believe God tells us to love one another. So if we're to love those outside of biblical orthodoxy in a way that would be meaningful to them, that they would actually want to know us and maybe even hear something of what we believe the gospel is, we have to treat them with kindness. We have to show them respect. We have to be courteous. And, and we have to do what First Peter 3.15 says to do the conversation, to present the gospel in such a way that it is gentle and that it is respectful. And I, I think, like I said, there was a time when I got a lot more flack for doing what we're doing, but I think in more recent years, maybe since about 2010 on, um, I think we begin to win the day and people are sensing that if we want to have influence, if we want to have influence upon our Mormon friends, we need to build really honest, positive friendships with them. I grew up in the East Coast. Uh, I reached adulthood. I had never met a Mormon. I, I didn't know anything about them. And then lived for 10 years in Colorado where there were Mormon neighbors and the, there was a presence in the community. And most of my life I've lived in Minnesota where we have had really good Mormon neighbors, but not anything like the experience in Colorado. So for many who may track with experiences similar to mine, the only exposure has been a couple of young men with white shirts on and dark ties that come knocking at the door. Okay, so I've got to ask you, do they do this in Utah? Do, do people in Utah have Mormon missionaries you, knocking you, at their doors too? You might be surprised. You, absolutely they do. You might be surprised at the Salt Lake City area and the Utah Mormon mission because all of the, the entire United States and around the world is sectioned off into mission uh, organizations, and they have, you know, structure for that. But Utah would be one of the most successful recruiting states or areas that the Mormon missionaries have, because when people move into Utah, they are fresh to be uh, reached out to, and, and they don't know a lot about Mormonism, maybe, and the Mormon missionaries come and explain, or they're referred to by a friend or a, a co-worker or a neighbor, and so they learn about Mormonism, and they say, wow, you know, this is the church of this area, so we might as well plug in and, and jump in. So, yes, there are many, many Mormon missionaries right here in Utah uh, advancing the, the Mormon uh, missionary work here in this state. And Utah has changed. I would guess that yes. in the past the large majority were Mormons, and now it's uh, uh, Salt Lake is an airline hub, and there's so many businesses there. So there's got to be a lot more diversity now than there was, was 30 years ago or so. Yeah, there's been tremendous uh, movement uh, into Utah from the western states region. And when people move to Utah, it is a foreign place to them. There's no doubt. There's a sense that this is a different place and we're not really in Kansas anymore. And you learn 
very quickly that there's terminology and there's cultural aspects. Uh, you, you, you land in Salt Lake City Airport and you come down the escalator to the baggage carrier and you see large groups of families there waiting with balloons and signs to welcome their Mormon missionary home from the field. You, uh, you hear about ward houses and steakhouses and you're not talking about hospitals or restaurants. You're talking about the local churches and uh, you learn about the positions. So there's something very unique about living in Utah if you're not from this place and you move into this area, you learn a lot. And again, Mormonism as a culture uh, has so much that would be familiar to evangelicals in the way we live our life and our desires for morality and uh, patriotism and love of country and, and love of family. Those things are very uh, uh, similar. I love raising my family in a Utah culture because many of my kids, friends who are LDS, uh, share their values and share their uh, uh, desires for clean living and whatnot. So we, we get to share that and experience that. And in that way, Mormon culture and living in Utah with its growing diversity. Uh, and interestingly, you know, that a lot of diversity that brings in secularism as well, which is a challenge to the Mormon culture as well as the evangelical culture um, in Utah. But it, it uh, it's, it's really a, a positive experience. But people are curious. And then, like I said, they, they listen to the missionaries or have friendships that are formed and many times decide to become part of the LDS Church when they move to this area sometimes. So what's your advice when uh, people not in Utah are sitting in their family rooms and there's a knock on the door and there are Mormon missionaries who are there or they're out on the deck and Mormon missionaries come by? What, what, what do you recommend? Do you just say, I'm not interested, or do you sit down and invite them in and have a conversation? What's the best approach? Well, I think that obviously uh, depends upon, you know, what your situation is at the time of the, of the door knocking. But uh, if you can, uh, I would definitely encourage people to certainly be friendly and courteous at the door. If you have a few minutes and you want to chat at the door, great. If you don't have a few minutes, just thank them for coming by. Don't be mean. Don't be nasty. Leith, I can tell you a story after story of former Mormon missionaries living right here in Utah, dear friends of mine who went to the South who served their Mormon mission someplace, you know, around the country or somewhere even around the world where they were attacked by well-intentioned, uh, you know, people who, who felt that they were honoring God by denouncing Mormonism and by, you know, claiming, you know, Galatians 1, 8, 9, that this is a false gospel and anathema. And uh, so these Mormon missionaries get yelled at and they get cussed at and they get the door slammed in their faces and they get told off. I don't think that's helpful or, or a positive reflection on our Christian witness at all. Courtesy, kindness, if you have a few moments of vitamin, give them a glass of water. There's, you know, sometimes the reference to Second John is used where it says don't even invite them into your house. And I think that's a misunderstanding textually, whereas I think what John is talking about is inviting people into the church to preach and teach and have authority as opposed to having someone just in your home. Uh, we can have non-believers in our home. We can have people that believe differently in our homes and have conversations about spiritual truth. So I encourage people to be friendly. I encourage people to be prayerful, uh, that the Lord would give them uh, the right things to say and say to listen, but also to share. Don't just sit there and feel like you can't share your testimony or your love for the Lord uh, or why you believe what you believe about the Bible. Um, you don't have to be an expert in Mormon theology. You don't have to know all the distinctions of the, those six uh, key doctrinal distinctions that I've shared. You, you just have to share your love with God, for God, with them, and uh, take as much or as little time as you can, but uh, 
be loving. Okay, so living in Utah, and you were raised a Mormon, and you're not a Mormon now, so is that is that helpful, or is that a hindrance to all you do and the conversations you have? Well, there's no doubt it's been a help to me. It was my platform for engaging Mormons in the first place. But I do think that sometimes if you're known as a former Mormon, like I am, and, and you have a bent or an edge in you against Mormons, you'll be seen as an anti-Mormon. And Mormons have a tendency that when they feel attacked, and they've been taught this in their Sunday schools and sacrament services, that when Christians attack you, it's just really evidence that you're a part of the one true church. Um, you wouldn't be attacked if you weren't representing the true church. So in some senses, when we become aggressive and confrontational, we're actually just affirming uh, a mindset that says, yeah, we're, we're the true church because we're being attacked. But I think in my case, uh, with my background, um, it has opened up a lot of doors. And the more I've been able to build friendships with general authorities of the Mormon church and senior leaders, um, scholars of the LDS faith at Brigham Young University, uh, obviously uh, people are amazed that I'm a former Mormon, but I have all these unique friendships and relationships. And even people outside of you know, my uh, particular experiences, people who come from a Mormon background, if they're courteous, and if they're not angry and upset and trying to attack, it can be a way that you can explain your story and show a contrast. I just happened to be with a, one of the Mormon apostles at the governor's mansion for an evangelical, for actually a, a luncheon for leaders, for religious leaders. And I greeted the elder uh, uh, that I was uh, meeting there that day and I saw, and I mentioned to him that a colleague of mine was also a former Latter-day Saint uh, member and was an evangelical pastor now. And I said, you see, uh, to this Mormon apostle, you see there's several of us who have left the LDS faith and we've become evangelicals, so that's okay. And, and he laughed and he said, well, we, we still pray for you guys. And so we, we just kind of banter about it. We have a, a good uh, interaction about it. And it ends up being, I think, a, a great platform. It's like Paul talking to the Jews about his background and, and uh, communicating the grace of Jesus Christ that he's experienced in contrast to maybe his uh, Jewish life. Uh, we get the same opportunity, I think. So it can be a real positive as long as you don't use it to, to, to be bitter and angry um, against uh, the Mormon people that you interact with. One of the perceptions of Mormonism is that it changes, uh, maybe even changing doctrines or policies. So what do you see as, as trending? What, what's going on within Mormonism today or, or what's new that we might not know? I think this is one of the most important questions you could ask. Um, there definitely is. You could not talk to an evangelical pastor in Utah who would not acknowledge that over the last 20 years, it's a new day in Utah to minister. There is a receptivity, an openness that has been fostered uh, because the Mormon church has desired in a stronger way to not be seen as a, uh, a sect or a, a fringe movement. And as a result of that, through the leadership of their previous Mormon prophet, Gordon B. Hinckley, and their current prophet, there's been a lot of efforts to, to kind of play up the similarities and play down the distinctions. Uh, and they do that a lot in their, uh, their presentation. They do that in their media. They do that in their, uh, their historical sites. If you go to a Mormon temple or Salt Lake City Temple Square, you'll see a lot of emphasis on similarities, a lot of downplaying of distinctions. But there's a really important phenomenon that's been happening, particularly in the last decade or so, among Mormon millennials. And that is the 
internet has made open some of the historical aspects of early Mormonism, whether it pertains to polygamy issues or Joseph Smith's character or issues of uh, uh, dealing with people of uh, African-American descent that have been exposed through various writings and articles. And so many of these questions have emerged for young Mormons who feel that what they were taught in their early days is not true to historical reality, so much so that the Mormon church has done at least two significant things. They closed down their church history museum um, a few years back, redid it completely, and now are very open about some of the things that for many years they were not open about and maybe gave uh, a different perspective on where they're more willing to admit, yes, there were some different versions of the first vision that Joseph Smith shared. Yes, the way the Book of Mormon was uh, translated is not maybe completely as we always thought it was. So they're starting to try to be honest. The second thing is they've revealed in 12 different doctrinal essays, and that's the number they're at right now, uh, compiled that you can get on the LDS.org website on some of the most controversial aspects of the Mormon historical or doctrinal issues. They're trying to address those things not in a way maybe that I would or as robustly as I would like them to, but they're at least trying to examine some of these things that have really been problematic about their past. So there's a great opportunity for us today to engage our Mormon friends, our Mormon associations over things that the Mormon church is maybe handling uh, in a way that they haven't done before, that maybe they're a little bit more close to, but now they're more open to. When we move past the, the differences, and especially the significant doctrinal differences, uh, what, what are some shared interests? So what, what do evangelicals and Mormons have in common that we can, like a common ground, that we can better work together? Well, you know, Stephen Robinson, a well-known BYU scholar and author, uh, told the story uh, many years ago when he was at Duke University during his doctoral studies about him trying to go to a clergy meeting where they were discussing anti-poverty, anti-pornography issues and how to help their community, you know, stand against pornography. Well, when they noticed that the Mormon guys were there at that meeting, they actually stopped the meeting and came and spoke with them and asked them to leave because they weren't Christians and they didn't want to uh, have them there at that meeting. And uh, Steve Robinson writes in, in the intro to How Wide the Divide, he says, uh, I learned that night that evangelicals think worse of Mormons than they do of pornography. We weren't even good enough to help them in that campaign kind of thing. Well, today, um, we see, uh, I think, evangelical leaders and evangelical churches are seeing that there's a great uh, opportunity to partner with our Mormon friends on many of the social issues that are really challenging our society right now. The nature of marriage, um, certainly the nature and sanctity of life, um, some of the religious freedom issues, uh, the right to worship, the right to speak and freely believe and practice your faith, um, how those things are practiced in the public square. Our Mormon friends are great allies. We do have a, a very strong value system that is similar to our Mormon friends, but those doctrinal distinctions, they do emerge pretty quickly. And so we, we share those values. And, and I think one thing that we can maybe acknowledge that maybe in the past we haven't, uh, this discussion about Jesus, a lot of times Mormons will be very offended that they're not called Christians or that they don't believe in Jesus when in fact they proclaim and profess that they do. I've often told my evangelical friends, I don't say that Mormons aren't Christians to their face or to, to publicly. I'll say, I understand that you profess to be a Christian. I certainly profess to be a Christian. And yet my understanding of Christianity is so different than your understanding of Christianity 
that I don't think we can call them the same thing. So I have that conversation without trying to insult their their identity or their self-proclaimed identity or even their passion. Uh, it's not for me to tell a Mormon person they don't love Jesus or that they don't love God. Um, that is something very personal to them. I often say, I acknowledge that you you know seem to have a real passion and love for God and for Christ, and I really admire that and I appreciate that. Let's have a conversation about who that is and how we understand him and who he is to us. And so I use those those common uh, religious worship or values to uh, be a springboard to the conversations of how our beliefs are similar and how they're different. And I might just add that a lot of times you might find that one Mormon you're talking to is very different than another Mormon you're talking to. Some Mormons are very traditional and very focused on the distinctions, while some, maybe who haven't been Mormons as long, or maybe they're converts, would be more inclined to speak like an evangelical about their love for Jesus or their love for God. And so we just have conversations with them in understanding the nuance that, that there are different kinds of Mormons, just like there are different kinds of evangelicals. One last practical question, and that is uh, for anyone listening to our conversation today and right now or later, uh, who wants to pray about these topics and specifically for Mormons, any particular advice on how evangelicals should pray? Absolutely, and you've heard me mention this before already, that I think if there is a pivotal conversation between a Mormon and an evangelical, it's about understanding how any one of us rightly relate to God. And that is, uh, for me, the, the whole matter of being saved or understanding what it means to be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And I often tell my own Mormon friends, so I, I don't think this is something we have to be shy about, that my greatest prayer for the Mormon people is not that they would abandon all their doctrines and that they would become just like evangelicals. But my greatest prayer, because I think it's the critical beginning point and the cardinal issue, is that my Mormon friends would understand that the grace of Jesus Christ completely saves them and that a life of trying to please God so that you might be able to go to the celestial kingdom is, is not God's design for them. That they can know and trust in a certainty that it's because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ that they could ever go to heaven and be with God. So I pray openly, and, and I tell my Mormon friends that I'm praying for them, that they would understand the grace of Jesus Christ and, and know that their salvation is not a, a covenant of, of a transaction between them and God. They do their part, God does his part. Because nobody can ever feel like they've ever arrived in that kind of arrangement. But when we come to Christ and know that he saved us completely, then we live for him out of that transformed life. So I encourage people to pray for Mormons to understand true biblical grace, because I think it's transformative, and it begins an incredible conversation with our Mormon friends. Our guest on today's conversation has been Greg Johnson, president of Standing Together. I'm Leith Anderson, and on behalf of us all, very special thanks to Greg. The National Association of Evangelicals is where we use influence for good. Today's conversation is one of many ways we connect and represent evangelical Christians in the United States. To discover more NAE topics and resources for you and your church, please follow along on Twitter at NAEvangelicals 
or on our Facebook page for the National Association of Evangelicals. And sign up for our email list when you visit our website at nae.net.